Welcome to the KT Literary Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Nyan. Today, I have the privilege of bringing you an interview I did recently with sci-fi author R.W.W. Green. For any of you who are aspiring writers or just interested in the craft of storytelling and book writing, this is going to be an episode to pay attention to. Rob isn't just a talented writer and a genuinely kind person. He's also an educator. He's been teaching writing for many years and has a really interesting perspective on the sci-fi genre and what makes for a great story. He casually tosses out lots of books in the conversation and some that I'd never heard of. So if you're a student of sci-fi and fantasy, you might want to have a pen handy. More than anything else, though, we chatted about his forthcoming book, 25 to Life, which comes out in August of 2021. Enjoy. Hey, Renee. It's good to be here. I am so excited to talk with you today and get to know a little bit about your process and uh, talk about your book. So will you start us off uh, giving the pitch for your forthcoming novel, 25 to Life? Uh, sure. Uh, the pitch is that um, the uh, kind of the we we failed to stop climate change from destroying us, and uh, the big mission to save us all is leaving to Proxima Centauri, uh, but not everybody can go, and it's what happens to the people who are left behind. Mm. That's the that's the kind of the pitch that I have, but that changes every time I talk about the book. So. Of course. Um, And the thing that really connected for me was Julie, your main character, just feeling like she's unwilling to accept the fate that is given to her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was really, really fantastic because she is one of the people who's left behind. Yeah. Well, we're not all going to get to go, you know, it's, that's kind of the way it goes is we're not all going to be, you know, even if you look at the rapture in terms of, you know, biblical terms, not everybody gets to be, gets to be taken. So it's, if you're not going to be taken, you got to figure out what to do, you know, instead. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Um, so I guess in broad, the broadest terms possible. Um, and then I do want to get more granular and actually talk about your book. Um, what draws you to the sci-fi genre? What's your, um, I guess, origin story with that? <laughs> um, I've been reading since I was a very little uh, little kid. My only superpower I have is the ability to read very fast. I, you know, I read three or four or five books a week. Wow. Um, it's the only thing I do well. It's the only, <laughs> the only superpower I have, and it's not a bad one. No. Um, and I think I, I'm drawn to sci-fi just because of, of how you can look ahead to what's going to happen. Um, and it's both kind of scary uh, and exciting. Uh, and I, I love the idea that, you know, maybe we'll figure out our problems and get off this rock and go into, you know, galaxies far, far away. Uh, but I also fear that we won't. And I like to look at kind of both sides of that thing and try to figure out maybe there's a middle way, you know, maybe there's not. Uh, so I think that's where my origin story is. I am so fascinated by that. There's one moment I had to write it down because it was so, it was so impactful to me. Mm. A character just mentions Texas, like what happened with Texas or what happened in Texas or whatever. And even though your story is, fictitious and set a mm-hmm. hundred years in our future, I knew instantaneously what that meant. Mm. Um, and that was, it was so 
there were so many times that you did that um, throughout the story. Can you tell me about some of those decisions? Like there was a COVID-90 mentioned and uh, obviously the Texas secession, like where did you come up with some of that? Well, the, the real the real downside to writing sci-fi is how often it comes true. Uh, <laughs> William G- William Gibson talks about you know once upon a time he could look ahead you know he's he's the author of Neuromancer and you know the father of cyberpunk and he talked about once upon a time he could look ahead twenty years and predict now we can't see past next Tuesday, mm-hmm. you know because things are changing so often and in the course of writing uh, this book uh, there were things that came true. Uh, that I had to change. Like there was, uh, you know, the, the the story of this book is that it it's I started writing it in about 2010, um, oh, wow. and it was uh, it was uh, it was bigger and it had you know three main characters. It had you know Julie on the ground and Angie who went off into space and their friend Ben who didn't run away but stayed behind in their neighborhood and it kind of followed those three different stories. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of the virtual reality thing that, you know, people are kind of faced with, uh, you know, I gave it a name called Hangouts and all of a sudden Google came out with Hangouts and it was already happening. So, you know, uh, there's this a section in there where they're talking about, you know, robo trucks, you know, trucks that travel by themselves on the highway. That's already coming true. Um, yeah. You know, so it's just... Um, you know, it's just kind of looking at what's going on and trying to figure out where it might take us. Uh, and the problem with writing the the near sci-fi is that it just it catches up with you. The the present catches up with your future. And you know, it, I've been talking to a bunch of people about you know a bunch of friends about you know writing near near future sci-fi after the COVID thing. Is that now that's kind of changed everything because we've done the pandemic. You know, we know what that looks like. You know, that's going to have to factor into every book or story uh, that we write about the near future from now on. So, Absolutely. One of the other things that I thought was really interesting is you created this world where the legal adult age was raised to 25. Can you Mm -hmm. kind of talk me through that? thought process and and kind of how that works into that world uh i i have i've i've never been one to trust the older generation uh not even when i am the older generation um and we have this tendency uh as olders to kind of use the youngers as fodder for our own success Mm. uh there's that the the hebrew demon moloch that uh ginsburg writes about in howell you know, you sacrifice your children to Moloch in order to have good crops and so on and so on. And I, I see us doing this a lot uh, and then blaming them, you know, like blaming the millennials for messing up avocado toast or whatever. Uh, so, you know, kind of taking away their options or messing up the world and then blaming them for complaining about it. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. And the 25 thing, there's, you know, there's a lot of science as a, as a former educator, there's a lot of science that talks about how the brain is not finished forming until people are 25. Uh, so that seemed like a good place to kind of, uh, to put that, that new, new majority. Uh, so that's kind of where that all came from. Talk to me a little bit about your background in education. Where, um, where did you work before you were a writer? 
Uh, well, I've always always been a writer. Uh, before, when, when I got out of college, I drove a forklift for a while, and then I was a journalist, a print journalist, for about 11 years. Mm-hmm. And then I segued into teaching high school. I taught high school for about 12 years. Uh, and then I taught, uh, and I continued to teach adjunct college stuff. So I teach college writing and that kind of thing. Uh, so I spent, but I spent, you know, 12 years working in high school uh, and just stopped doing that probably two years ago uh, to kind of focus on, because the dream was to do halftime teaching, halftime writing. Mm. And that's kind of where I am, or I would have been if uh, I didn't like, I didn't despise virtual education. Uh, so I'm, you know, really hoping to get back into the classroom soon. Um, but that's kind of where that, where that came from. I taught creative writing, I taught journalism, I taught, you know, sci-fi literature, um, you know, freshman writing and that kind of thing. Uh, so when I'm not, um, you know, writing my own stuff, I'm helping other people write their stuff, I guess. Well, I love hearing that. Um, what are some, since you teach sci-fi, um, and I am absolutely love it. Who are some of your like staple sci-fi people? Uh, the people I love right now, uh, I really love Becky Chambers. Uh, she's amazing. I'm reading a book by her right now and it's just, you know, she's, she makes everything so human. Um, Mm. and you know, I like Kim Stanley Robinson who goes completely the other way. You know, all of his stuff is like, you know, really big idea stuff, like thinly wrapped in character and story. Mm. Uh, while Chambers is kind of like massive character, you know, great character, great, you know, great development with very small plot, you know, so they're very much on the different side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the ones that I kind of like right now, but, you know, I've read everything uh, going back. Um, when I was kind of explaining the, uh, the Moloch thing, I was thinking about a story by Robert Silverberg called Cotton, the Organ Draft, which is written in response to the Vietnam War, which was, you know, the older folks um, were, taking organs from the younger people to continue their life. It was like, Oh, you, you, you signed up for the organ draft and gave a kidney to an old person, knowing that somewhere down the road, you'll be able to take a kidney from someone else, you know? Um, So it's just, it's that thing about the sci-fi that I like that you can like, just take it, take it so far out, um, Mm. really kind of examine the issues of today by just by, just going a little nuts, you know, like, you know, going to a place where, you know, you don't think it's really going to go until 20 years go by and you realize you're there. You know, it's like yeah. uh, one of my favorite movies is Soylent Green, which is 1971, you know, Soylent Green is people. And we're not eating people yet, but, you know, that was a movie that was really about climate change, you know, right. it, and it was all about like how the oceans were dying and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And, you know, that was 50 years ago. And all of a sudden, here we are, you know, we're eating the impossible burger, which could be people. I don't, I don't know for sure. Um, you know, I sure hope not. yeah, I mean, it could be, it might be people. Um, would it surprise you totally? Maybe not. Oh, I've never considered that, but you know what? I'm going to think every time I yeah. order an impossible burger now. They're not bad. I really do no, kind of like, like the Impossible them. Burger. Yeah. So, you know, but, and if it was people, would that change <laughs> your enjoyment of them? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, maybe, probably. probably <laughs> yes, probably, probably. it would. So this is, this leads me to a question that I have just been, it's, it's been in my head 
Um, and I, I have not vocalized it, so I'm sorry if it doesn't come out quite right, but I feel like you're the per- perfect person to ask. How, how do you see, um, as trends come and go in sci-fi, um, say, you know, I'm thinking like alien stories in the fifties and then, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more of the, the techno cyber stuff in the eighties and nineties. How is that reflecting? Like what exactly is that reflecting in our, um, in, in our current culture? Sorry, you're just getting this totally unfiltered, just all of these thoughts that I have that I can't even really put into a question. Please just teach me about this. I don't know. I don't know if I can if I can teach you, but I, I mean <laughs> my my thought my my thought as you were talking about, you know, giving your, your ideas and your question was that it's kind of about what we're afraid of. You know, what we're afraid of at the moment and, you know, back in the 50s with like the invasion of the body snatchers and that kind of stuff. It's about like being replaced or the person next door could be a communist or Mm. could be a could be a this or could be a spy, you know, and in the 80s, it was like, you know, these these computers that, you know, we don't really none of us really understand computers unless we're a nerd, at least back in the 80s. Only yeah. nerds use computers, you know, war games and things like that. And, you know, that's something we don't understand. So, of course, it's going to come to kill us and, uh, mm. you know, Terminator and all that kind of stuff. And now there's a lot of the, the climate fiction uh, because it's, you know, and then kind of the response to the climate fiction, there's now this this hope punk movement, which is kind of interesting, which is like, you know, everything's going to be OK and this is how we're going to survive and we're going to do, you know, utopia. And, you know, um, so I think that it's it's a combination of kind of aspiration and terror. Hmm. that kind of fuel what we're reading at any one point in time or what we're writing at any one point in time. Um, you know, you look at something like Star Trek and Star Trek is, is, is a utopian society. You yeah. know, it's everybody, everybody has a job and they're happy and they can do what they want to do. And there's, there's no money. There's no poverty It's post scarcity. Um, you know, so they have to kind of send them into space to find problems, you know, um, and that's kind of the, the, the main issue with hope punk is that, you know, you, you know, you've got to find a problem in order to make people read that stuff. Um, but, you know, I think we, we, we want it because we want to know that we're going to get out, you know, we want to know that we're going to survive, uh, this, we're going to have a good place to live for our kids. Um, mm. you know, and I certainly hope we do. I hope that sort of answers your musing maybe i mean yeah. i'm using i'm using just as much as you're using you know we're musing together <laughs> yeah no that i i really love that and it um yeah one thing i thought of was zombies too like was that was zombies at the height of like uh, or on as cell phones were on the rise like are we just afraid of of being consumed by technology and maybe this is you know maybe i'm reading way too much into it I I don't think you are. I think if you, and I've done some reading on this too, like the original, like Night of the Living Dead zombie thing was supposed Mm. to be about suburbanization. And it was supposed to be about, uh, and the the next one was, they were set in a mall. You know, they were were all running around. It was supposed to be about, you know, commercialization and capitalism and how we were all like being taken over by that. And, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I think that there's a lot in there. Uh, that you're completely right about that, you know, if, if you're seeing something in there, it's probably true. You know, I don't know if you watched 
um, the, the, the Battlestar Galactica that came out in the, in the early aughts, Definitely. you know, yeah, it was great. And it yeah. was about, you know, it was really about Guantanamo and it was really about, mm-hmm. you know, the war in Iraq, you know, and, uh, it's just that it's, um, but it's just, it's in some ways it's safer to, to do a show like Battlestar Galactica than to mm-hmm. actually go and comment on what's going on right now. Because it's easier, I think it's easier if you're, you know, with a bunch of friends around a table talking about, you know, the uh, Battlestar Galactica and someone using a bomb, a, a, a body bomb in Battlestar Galactica and talking about the politics of that than, say, talking about the politics of Israel and Palestine with those same people around the table. Right. You know, one way, you know, it's, it's fiction at a distance and the other way it's, it's, it's politics and mm-hmm. personal belief and you can't talk about it. Right. Um, so I think that it kind of gives us a way to talk about those issues without pissing people off and ruining Thanksgiving. Yeah. Sci-fi saving Thanksgiving. Since there you go. 1950. 1950. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think wow, so. that is. I have so much to think about now. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's a it's a fun genre. It really is. There's so much good stuff out there. Uh, and you know, I don't know if you're uh, if you have a Netflix account, um, yep. but you know, one of the, my favorite thing about Netflix is you can watch so much sci-fi from all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this great show called The Three Percent, which is Brazilian. Um, there's three seasons of it. And if you haven't watched it and you have time, you know, check it out. Uh, it's just, you know, it's subtitled and you have to, you know, um, but it's just, you know, you're seeing all these other, uh, other ideas that are coming from all over the world, you know, mm-hmm. sci-fi from Russia, sci-fi from France, which has a lot to do with love, of course, and romance, you know, sci-fi from all these different places that kind of like, you know, these are how people are seeing the world that we're about to enter into, mm-hmm. um, and it's pretty cool you know it's it's both entertaining but it's also i think educational too absolutely uh one of the ones i i was late to the dark party but i definitely enjoyed that one that was fun that was really fun yeah yeah that was you know i we almost had our own string wall trying to figure out who everybody is (laughs) you know we talked it was a that was a good kind of mind mess you know it was good that was fun it was good um wow I love it. Um, so as you are now writing pretty much full time, uh, which mm-hmm. is so amazing and the dream for a lot of people, can you tell me a little bit about your origin story uh, with Sarah and or with Katie Literary and how you mm-hmm. came to actually how you came to publication? Sure. Um, I met Sarah at the uh, Dublin Con, the World Science Fiction Convention in Dublin. Uh, And this was after I had a contract for the first book, The Light Years. So I I sold The Light Years to Angry Robot Unagented. And uh, Eleanor Teasdale, who's the managing or she's she's got a higher title now. She's fancy, fancy person over there. Uh, She uh, she likes people to have agents. You know, so she introduced me to Sarah and Sarah and I sat down and talked and I sent her a copy of, I think, I think the light years. Uh, She read it on the plane or something like that and called me up and offered me representation. Uh, And that's where the where when I became one of Sarah's kids. Um, So that's and, you know, the the light years is my first book. And this is the 25 to life is the first year first book that uh, Sarah has arranged the deal. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, and it certainly smoothed everything out and made everything much easier and gave me lots of things I didn't have to think about. Uh, and she's a great cheerleader. Um, 
you know, almost to the point where I, 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 I talk to my wife sometimes like, is she, she too enthusiastic about what I'm doing? You know, is she, you know, does she, you know, um, it's kind of a strange thing uh, to have someone like that actually support you like that. Uh, yeah. My wife does, of course, but yeah. you know, you, you would expect that from a spouse, <laughs> you know, at least to say, mm, that's nice. Um, but you know, Sarah, she's, she's just, um, she's just out there, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from what I hear about, you know, I've got some other friends who have her as an agent, uh, as well. And I've got some other friends who have other members of your staff there. It just seems to be pretty common, you know, which is really cool. Yeah. It's our staff meetings are super fun because there's always so much enthusiasm for the clients and our clients Mm. projects and, um, Sarah, if you are on her team, she is your biggest cheerleader. And that is, that's, and that's not a, um, a facade. That's not a front, like genuinely behind closed doors. She truly loves the books that she represents. It's great Um, energy. And I, I also, I also like the fact that it's a a primarily a female office. You know, I, I, I mean, I went to Wheaton college in Massachusetts just after it went co-ed. Uh, so all of my kind of my mentors and the leaders I had when I was like a freshman and a sophomore were all women, you know, mm-hmm. so I learned a lot from, you know, the way women work together and, you know, the way they lead and the way they kind of do things. It just really makes that a very comfortable environment for me, uh, okay. because it's just, a, it seems like a much, you know, much smarter, <laughs> kinder space <laughs> than a place that's run by dudes. And it's just nice that, um, that you have that at uh, KT, which it's, it's good. It's just great energy. It's just great energy. And it, I feel very comfortable there. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, we are thrilled to have you. Um, So I guess my final question as we're kind of winding this down um, to go into our later segments Mm -hmm. is you talked about three main characters um, originally in your first draft Mm -hmm. of 25 to life. Are there going to be follow-up books? Are are you going to follow those characters into other stories? There could be, uh, and I, you know, when I when I took the the big honking book that was it was called Leaving Home. Uh, when I took that book apart, um, you know, the the adventures of the adventures of Angie are still over here in this file, and the adventures of Ben are still over here in this file. Um, and I could definitely see, you know, writing follow-ups. I mean, I, I have, at least on paper in my notes, I have four more books that I could write. Uh, I could write, you know, Ben's story. I could write Angie's story. And I also have an idea for writing what happens when the ship finally makes it to Proxima Centauri 80 years from now. Um, so I have, I have those ideas. But it depends on, you know, whether what, someone wants to pay for them, uh, you know, or... You know, I don't know how much time I have. I guess it wouldn't take a, it wouldn't take a huge amount of time to write the next two because they're pretty much the arc is already done. It's already planned mm-hmm. out. Um, but you know, again, it depends. Maybe well, sure. I love it, and I hope that that is the case because um, it was such an enjoyable book. I really enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad you liked it. I'm very Definitely. glad you liked it. Yeah, well, I write, you know, I write other stuff too. I write, you know, quote unquote literary fiction. I have a master's degree that, you know, you're supposed to write the fancy shit that no one actually reads. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I write a little fantasy sometimes, but I'm just not as interested in fantasy in general. Um, but 
Okay. So do you have a, a literary book forthcoming? I've kind of got two, not forthcoming, but I've got them sitting out there, you know, waiting to finish. Uh, someday it would be kind of cool. Uh, but, you know, maybe they'll find it after I'm dead and, and, and release it then. Who knows? Or you could just do us all a favor and get them done now. So we maybe, can that. maybe, maybe. <laughs> One involves a mysterious goose murder in Cambridge. So we'll see how it goes. Instantaneously intrigued. I love it. So as a literary agency, we get a lot of queries, but now that you are our client, I'm going to turn the tables on you and ask you some questions. Rob Green, are you ready for Quick Query Corner? I am totally ready. Okay. Are you a plotter or a pantser? Both. I tend to think actually that you can't, be anything other than a pantser because even if you write an outline you're pantsing the outline so at some point in time there's always some pantsing going on uh so i think i think i think actually that division may be a false division oh okay Mm. no i like that um do you start with a very full outline or is it kind of a little more it, it it depends. I used to do this thing on my whiteboard at school where I just draw an arc and I would write down things that I think happen. Uh, but it all depends on if, you know, back when I was teaching, I, I the only time I had to write was like 4.30 in the morning before school started. So I get up at 4.30 and write. Uh, so if I had any like ideas beyond what I was writing, I'd sit down and I'd do kind of a hard outline. So if I go back to it, I wouldn't forget what was going on. Mm. Uh, but for the most part, it was just, you know, it was just kind of that, that arc with like ideas jotted on it. Um, but it depends on what I need, you know, and sometimes I do a reverse outline. If I can't figure out where I'm going, I have to look back and see where I have been. Mm. Uh, so I'll write everything out. Um, but I think I think you know in general you know when you're whatever your your outline your outline is basically your first your rough draft I mean it is you know uh, even if it's you know written on in crayon on the back of a hamburger wrapper it's still kind of your first draft um, and everything after that is just refinement you know that's good advice so usually I ask then when are you most productive but I feel like I kind of got that answer right are you kinda. a morning writer. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not a morning person, so now that I'm not teaching, I'm getting up at eight, uh, but I'm still doing most of my stuff in the morning. Yeah, That's, you, you got to strike while the coffee is is still in your blood. Coffee's still right? going. Yep. Yeah. And plus, you know, I, I want to spend the evenings with my spouse. You know, and so I like her. Understandable. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, what are you reading right now? Uh, right now I am reading the Becky Chambers book, uh, whose title I can't remember, uh, because her titles are always so, um, strange and wonderful. Um, but it's about these, uh, these people, these aliens who are stranded, uh, on a planet, basically kind of like waiting people stranded at a bus stop. It's that kind of story. Uh, and they're just talking about like, you know, how are you different from me? How are you the same? What do you eat? What do you eat? You know, how do you, you know, how do you have sex? And they're all just kind of, you know, these people, these, these creatures that are just meeting each other and talking to each other. Um, and I just kind of love it. I love the, you know, the, it's just all about, you know, people at a bus stop, you know, or Hmm. being stuck in the elevator with six people and no one to talk to but each other. It's just that kind of a story. Uh, not much of a plot. 
but you've got, you know, but a lot of character and a lot of kind of interest. Um, and if I can remember the title, I'll let you know. I just jumped on, um, on Goodreads, but uh, Becky Chambers is so prolific that I cannot. She's good. <laughs> She's good. I love her. I love her stuff. Uh, it's just, it's just smart. It's smart. Um, and you know, far future, it's all far future stuff, but it's all, you know, I, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's woke in context. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, uh, it, um, and I, I love when you can do that. Um, uh, I'm working on something now that my wife describes as kind of woke pulp. You know, I, I, if, you know, you look back and like, you know, why can't you, you know, why can't you do this? And why can't you have a planet that's, you know, free love and happy and you can be whatever you want to be, you know, we're, we're writing stuff that we want, you know, uh, there's no reason to necessarily, you know, be scared of ourselves when everything else is so damn scary, you know? So, Mm. yeah, I'm not actually answering these quickly. Am I? No, I, sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. I, I apologize. I love long answers in Quick Query Corner, to okay. be honest. All right. Okay. I won't feel so bad then. <laughs> Do you prefer print ebook or audiobook? Um print and ebook. Depending on whether or not I can get to the library or get to the bookstore. I mm-hmm. went through a lot of audiobooks during the pandemic. Not audiobooks. Went through a lot of ebooks during the pandemic. Ebooks. Yeah, I can only do audiobooks when I'm on a big long commute or driving on a trip or something like that. Otherwise, there's just too much to focus on. Yeah, you can uh, either miss something in the book or you just stop doing whatever you're doing. Like you're just standing there with the water running, trying to wash yep. dishes while you're engrossed in your audiobook. Yeah. Yeah. Not that that's ever happened to me. Never, 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 never. <laughs> no. Do you have any pets? I do. I have two cats. Uh, one is named Huzzah. He's 16. And the other one is Jack. He's 10. So those Aww. are my buddies. Sweet. Uh, you mentioned some TV shows, but I'm always curious what people's favorite um, movies are. Do you have mm. or a favorite movie that you've seen recently, if it's too hard to narrow it down? I think my 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 favorite movie is Once. Uh, it's a, it's a, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's an independent movie out of Ireland. Um, you know, they turned into a musical, but the, it, you know, the, the music is so good and the, the acting and, you know, I I don't want to spoil it, but the, the ending is just, you know, it's, it's fantastic. So that's probably my favorite movie. I think I once had five copies of it because I kept loaning it out to people. So I had to keep buying more DVDs. Um, so I think that's my favorite. Yeah. I, Kate and I went to go see that, that musical together. Okay. Um, and that was a really beautiful experience, but I still feel like the best part of once is just that long shot when he's singing, say it to me now in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's just him and the guitar and the, and the camera just tightens in on him. Magical. Yeah. Just such a simple film, such a simple yeah. little film, but it's, you know, it's so well done and, you know, the music was so good mm-hmm. and uh, it was just, you know, I think this, I think that's probably my favorite film. That's a great answer and a little bit surprising, if yeah. I can say. Um, I was expecting something very spacey, um, mm. but I love, I love the, the intimacy of that film. It was really yeah, I, I, I like, I like, I like the, I like intimate sci-fi, you know, I like mm. sci-fi that's just very, like, it's very character, character driven stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very character driven movie, you know. Definitely. 
so one of the final questions that I want to ask is about time travel. If mm. you could time travel, where would you go? What would you do? Or would you? I've thought about this. I would go to shows. I would go to all the concerts uh, mm. that I possibly could. I would go to Woodstock. I would go listen to Beethoven. I would listen to the premiere of Mozart's uh, The Magic Flute. Uh, I would go to, um, you know, the Grand Old Opry in the 40s. Uh, that way, I think I could get the most out of it without possibly destroying the time stream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would go to shows, all the shows. Yeah, Genius. just music, constant music all the time. I love it. What What do you listen to when you're writing? I don't listen to a lot when I'm writing. Um, I mean, sometimes, I mean, sometimes if, if I need it, I can listen to like jazz without words. Um, you know, if I need something to kind of distract me from the world outside. Uh, but most of the time it's, it's pretty quiet. Um, but, uh, and you know, I guess when I was writing parts of the light years, I was listening to industrial techno. Uh, not the light years, uh, 25 to life. Cause I was listening to industrial techno because there's a part on the beginning where they're, you know, playing industrial techno. And, uh, so I figured I'd, uh, I'd listen to that to kind of get that flavor. So there was, there was some of that. And sometimes I'll listen to hip hop with the volume turned down. So it's, I'm just right. Kind of like, I've got the beat, but not the words. Since one of the cornerstones of KT Literary is boundless optimism, I always like to wrap up our episodes by asking our guests what's making them happy this week. So, Rob, what is that for you? Uh, we are doing the first Grill Friday uh, in the post-pandemic period. Uh, my, my wife and I, Brenda, every Friday during the summer, we invite uh, all the people we know to our house where we have a grill in a backyard. And it's kind of a drop-in kind of thing. Uh, we were not able to do it during the pandemic because of obvious reasons. Uh, so we're doing Grill Friday once again. And uh, one of the things I really like about it is that we've uh, our friends have had kids uh, over the course of this, over the years we've been doing this. We've been doing this for years. We've, we've had this house uh, for 12 years. So we've seen the kids grow up. You know, they're all kind of becoming, you know, they're almost, they're tweens, almost becoming surly teenagers. Uh, So we get to see them, you know, every year going from goofy little four-year-olds to, you know, six-year-olds to seven-year-olds to eight-year-olds to now they're all about 12, which is cool. And we've got a new generation coming up. So little brothers and little sisters coming up that we haven't seen uh, during this pandemic because we've got lots of babies that were born that we haven't seen. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, You know, get get the music going, get the sprinkler and the unicorn, inflatable unicorn out there and uh, and see the see the kids and the people that we haven't seen in a long time. Oh, that sounds amazing. I would invite myself over if I wasn't like 20 states away. You're invited. Come on down. You know, everybody bring, bring, we have people who we've, some of the people who have been coming the longest, they showed up on their own because someone else told them about it and they just showed up. It's like, Hey, we know so-and-so. So it's like, yeah, come on in. So, you know, bring the kids, bring, you know, bring the spouse, (laughs) Uh, you know, we usually have, you know, we've got a grill. Uh, we usually have like a, uh, like a thing, a salad or something like that, you know, make something if you want to share it, but you don't have to, that's cool. 
Oh, so, that sounds wonderful. Wow, how different 2021 is for the summer yeah, than 2020 yeah. was. That's yeah, yeah, well, I'm, that's gonna be nice. That's gonna be very nice. Good, well, congratulations for like making it back to Grill Fridays. Yeah. And congratulations on 25 to Life. It really is beautiful and wonderful and thought provoking. And um, I will put uh, pre-order links cause it's available in August. Um, so yep. I will put pre-order links in the show notes um, and everyone can follow Rob on Instagram. Are you on Twitter as well? At RWW Green, both places. Perfect. All of the links will be in the show notes. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. Lovely talking to you. And like I said, I really like what you've done with the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've posted links to Rob's online platforms and also to his books, The Light Years, which is out now, and 25 to Life, which comes out in August. In case you're wondering, the book that Rob's currently reading that we couldn't find the name for is The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers. This is usually the time in the show when I ask you to rate, review, and subscribe, but instead I'm going to ask you to go give a five-star review to the last book that you read and loved by a queer author. It really does support the author and it helps other readers find the book. Until next time, we'll see you on the acknowledgements page.